How often would you say you guys drip too hard? All the time, almost every day. On certain days, when I'm walking around, I think that I'm dripping drip, too I'm hard. Dripping as hard as I possibly can drip. That's sad. You're telling me you don't bump a little a little baby. I don't little, even little baby <laughs> know who that hard. is. Do you, do you listen to on the way to the gym? No. Run that back, Turbo. <laughs> Are we going? Yeah, it's oh, live. Okay. All right. Why do you think he's asking these crazy questions? Uh, just to learn more about us? No. Because this is you guys can't start the podcast without some absurd question. He feels unbelievable because he's been drinking some 1440 coffee. True. What do we have this week, Coach? Coach Mandy Danks. This one's... That is not allowed. Yep. Stop saying so that. you guys are coached by Mandy Danks, she prefers no. to be referred to as that. If you want to get punched. Uh, so this one, this baby's from Peru. There are mountains in Peru. The Andes Mountains. High. It's cold there all the time. Gross. And they grow coffee. How do they grow coffee if it's cold all and the chicha. time? Uh, I don't think it's cold all the time. Well... Then why are like you lying to our listeners? I have no idea what it's like. <laughs> Literally, I couldn't tell you. I know that there's Peruvian people that live there in Peru. And that's about it. That's the extent of your knowledge. Uh, I know a couple other things, too. I, I took an anthropology class that was focused on Peru, so I can tell you sort of vaguely remembered things from it. But not the climate. It was cold in the video. That's what I'm, I'm <laughs> deriving that from. So you watched a video about Peru. Yeah, all, you didn't learn about up. Peru. I, I mean, yeah, I, I did. Oh, boy. Anyway. <laughs> do, you like, <laughs> do you like this coffee? It's delicious. It is. So this one, last week was a uh, somewhat lighter roast. This is a little more slightly darker, medium-ish. Uh, but it's nice, nice on a cold day like today. A little bit of dark chocolate, a little bit of nutty undertones. What do you get? How fancy. It is pretty fancy. They do a good job. If you haven't ordered coffee from 1440 Coffee Roasters, they're out of Oregon. Mom and pop shop, literally family business, just like us. Um, roast everything to order. You are, and you like coffee. Now, if you don't care, if you drink like Folgers, then, for, you know, Forget it. But if you actually like good coffee, you should order a bag. And if you decide to order a bag, which should, because it's legitimately good, um, you should use our offer code so you can save yourself a couple bucks. And then everybody's a winner. What is the offer code? Power Builder 1440. All one word? All one word. All one word. Enter that at checkout. Save yourself a couple bucks. Everybody's a winner. Thanks for doing that in advance. What's the topic for today, friends? A little bit of a hot button topic today. It's a hot button time of the year. Hot button topic. People are uh, all juiced up about one thing or another. We're going to get them more juiced up. Well, people have lots of questions, so we're just giving them what they want. That's it. We are talking about should we train to failure or not and why. That's it. So if we're trying to be maximally productive, right? So maximally muscular, uh, given our goals, maximally strong, uh, should that include failure training? So going to the point with weight uh, where you can't, can't do anymore. Try and fail. That's the topic today. And within the world of exercise science and certainly within the world of coaching and probably mostly within the world of physique uh, training, so bodybuilding or hypertrophy training, this is a pretty hotly contested thing. And there are people with very strong opinions on both sides, uh, and they point both to uh, both scientific and anecdotal evidence on their side to support their point. Uh, so why don't we talk about kind of the difference? So what is literally taking someone something to failure versus uh, what we use, which is reps in reserve. And you could use uh, RPE, or which is rate of perceived exertion, effectively is the same thing as reps in reserve, but for brevity, we're gonna use reps in reserve. So uh, can you give us, 
a quick definition of taking something to concentric failure uh, versus leaving some reps in the tank, what reps in reserve means to you? Uh, yeah, so pretty self-explanatory. Like if you're going to fail something, meaning we're squatting, right? You go down to the bottom of a squat and you can't stand it back up. That would be failure. You're trying to press the barbell or dumbbell overhead and you can't get it past your chin or past your forehead. That would be failure. So that's concentric failure, the, uh, where you literally can't do another one. Correct. Technical failure is another form of this. Uh, so that would be included in training to failure. It's also training to technical failure. So what would that be? What's the difference? Uh, as an example, a lot of our clients bench, um, and benching is a, a movement that should be controlled using our chest and our arms to drive the barbell up. Um, however, we, you know, a cue that we give is to, you know, push your feet into the ground. However, if we are driving our feet so hard into the ground that our butt is coming up off of the bench um, and we start moving the bar by using other parts of our bodies, um, that is a technical failure because the body is not moving the barbell in the way that the movement is intended. Another example would be if you think about uh, strict pull-ups. So a strict pull-up, full range of motion is you start with your arms fully extended at the bottom and like basically a dead hang. And pull until the bar is at the very least clearly above or clearly below your chin. And what we often cue is pulling the bar to your collarbone. So you sort of like leave no doubt with regard to range of motion. Technical failure there, which is something we see often, is where you get to the point where you can pull yourself part of that way, but not the entire way up. So you can pull it so the bar is like in line with your mouth. So you're really, really close to a full rep and effort isn't the issue, but you're not at a full rep. And at that point, you're a technical failure. You need to stop. Um, using momentum, as you kind of alluded to, would be another thing. So if you think about like a bent over row, you use momentum from your low back or your legs to help pull the bar up. That's a technical failure. So, Or I'd say like curls are another example where everyone has either seen or probably felt like you start to get a little fatigued and then you give it a little hip pop, a little yeah. English on it. Yeah. So those, we're going to lump that all in with failure. Uh, so there's concentric, which is the most obvious one, and then technical. And so now let's talk about reps and reserves. So this is sort of the other side of, of this. What exactly does that mean? Uh, for a lot of people, it's a, it's a judgment call, especially if this is something new and something you've never done before. Um, but essentially stopping yourself before you get to technical failure or concentric failure, uh, with a certain number of reps that you think that you can achieve after the fact. Um, so if you're in hypertrophy chain training and your goal is six to ten reps uh, but your coach wants you to have three reps in reserve uh, that may look like something where in your first set you are able to hit 10 knowing that you could go to 13 reps uh, but then your second set looks like eight knowing that 11 would be where your cutoff would be and so on and so forth so the the this isn't a hard concept to understand. The issue is correctly judging what your failure point is. Right. And so, and this is something we're going to come back to several times, is unfortunately, this is based largely on how much experience you have and your mindset. So using RIR as a gauge is often not appropriate for people who are very new to training um, and or people who are still developing that ability to understand how close they are to failure. Because oftentimes when you're new at it, you're not very good at judging. And it's something that with experience you get considerably better at. And so it doesn't, it does, it's not something we employ for everybody. 
Um, but the issue is, is you actually need to be very, very honest with yourself about where your failure point is. And this is something we're going to keep coming back to is regardless of which side of this topic you're on, for you to actually progress optimally, you need to be close to failure. And so we're not arguing that. We're not arguing that any sets should be easy because effectively zero sets should be easy. Um, it's the question of whether you're taking things to absolute failure or just getting pretty close to that and working backwards. So uh, tell why don't we start with the issue of safety with regard to this form of training. So let's take something, let's take two different movements. Let's take a back squat and then let's take a dumbbell lateral raise and how that relates to failure versus stopping with reps in reserve in terms of safety. So obviously, well, if you've done any kind of squatting, you can imagine how uh, like quote unquote failing a squat is much more dangerous and harder than a lateral raise because the lateral raise you're just bring them up and then you're like, oh, can't bring them up. I'm going to put them back down. Whereas a squat, especially a back squat, if you're heavily loaded, you're kind of in a weird spot because you can't, like, failing in that sense would mean, like, you can't stand up. And then you have, you know, one, two, three, four hundred pounds on your back. Like, what are you, what are you going to do? Um, so in that sense, like, maybe you go backwards, maybe someone's spotting you, whatever. But those two things have very different, like, inherent risk involved. Obviously, the back squat having a lot more risk involved than the lateral raise. So, I wouldn't say necessarily that like one, like the lateral raise, you should be like, yeah, I'm going to go to failure in the back squat. You shouldn't because all the principles that we'll talk about and have talked about apply to equally to all movements and all muscle groups or all movement patterns. But... Um, the closer you inch towards failure, the more inherent risk there is because if you're like you're just getting closer to failing, right? So if you're if you're doing twelve on your back squat and you can do and you're four away from failing, like your risk isn't as high as if you're doing fourteen and you're right up against, you know, one or two shy of failure because you're you're riding kind of that line. And and other uh, you know, in terms of technical failure, uh, there are a lot of things that could go wrong with a back squat um, if you push yourself and you're not moving or bracing properly. Uh, there's a, a bigger inherent risk there uh, as far as potential injury to you than I would say with a lateral raise. Uh, with a lateral raise, if you begin to, you know, use your hips for momentum to get the dumbbells up, not really much of a risk as far as uh, your body is concerned for injury. Uh, however, if you lose your brace in a back squat and you try to drive up or your knees start to cave in and you still try to grind through that rep, um, there's a lot more at risk from your ankles to your knees to your hips to your back, uh, even your, you know, your shoulder or upper back uh when it comes to back squats so with that being said do you think are we are we necessarily saying that you shouldn't back squat and you should only like instead we should only do like unweighted walking lunges something where the injury risk is less or no. you know what i mean like the lateral raise the injury risk is inherently less so should we only do stuff like that no what we're saying is that it's important to understand uh both uh, terms when we when we say pushing yourself to failure and what that means for you and what your movement patterns look like. Yeah, I think that's the thing is you have to accept if you're engaging in physical exercise, just like anything, you step outside, there's risk inside your house too, that there is some element of risk. Um, certainly, you know, there's some injury risk. Our job as coaches and your job as like a, a an adult someone who's thinking about these things is to be um, conscientious about mitigating the risk or making sure at least that the risk reward ratio is in your favor. So back squat is something, for example, is like same thing with deadlift. It can be done very safely. 
But, and again, part of the reason we're not prescribing that beginners go to failure is because they don't have a great technical grasp on the movement. So if we're gonna push you very close to that point, it's with the understanding that you have a good technical ability to express the movement safely. Additionally, if we're going to say stop your back squat sets when you get close to technical failure, that's what Amanda was alluding to, where say your knees start to cave, your chest caves, so your hips start to shoot up first and you kind of like start to good morning the bar. That's where we're going to want you to stop. Number one, because your injury risk at that point starts to climb. If you're not performing the movement safely, it's going up every rep. Also, the stimulus that we're after for that has dropped off a cliff at that point. So your fatigue and injury risk is going up and your stimulus is going down. So at that point, it's senseless to continue doing the movement. Um, and then obviously that's where we want you to stop. And so this gets us into, to segue a little bit, a broader conversation of stimulus versus fatigue. And what we want, and this is not a hard concept to wrap your head around when somebody says it, is we want the most possible stimulus with the least possible fatigue in a given rep, in a given set of a movement, in a given exercise, and then in a given session, and then in a given week. All of it needs to fit, like to kind of pass that test of getting a great stimulus with as little fatigue as possible. What would you say is like an example of that for maybe personally for you or generally? Uh, so if we kind of move to a different movement, so I get a great SFR, stimulus to fatigue ratio, when I do hack squats. So I get, I really get a great quad pump, great quad stimulus. It doesn't bother my back. It doesn't bother my knees. I can just sort of do them without any effect, uh, any negative effects other than just getting stimulus to the muscles that I want. So that's a really, really good stimulus to fatigue ratio. Uh, to think of another one for me. Well, as compared to what? Hack squat instead of? Uh, so sometimes front squat. So front squat, uh, and again, front squat, something I have good technical ability in, um, but the axial fatigue of front squat is a lot higher. It is much more challenging to stay in a good position. And uh, often, so I'll sometimes get some upper back fatigue, some lower back fatigue, and, or some uh, cardiorespiratory fatigue that limits my sets. So if we're going to the gym with the intention of getting the most out of uh, the movements we're going to do, I tend to feel like I get a little more out of hack squat than front squat. It's not, a, it's not apples to oranges, it's not oceans more, but it's a little bit more, and those little bits add up over time. That's a really good question. I would, well, I'd say one follow-up to that is, does that mean that you're never going to front squat again and you're only gonna hack squat? No, I just did a mesocycle where I did not hack squat and did front squat. You have a, uh, especially as you train over time, a basically a running living list for every movement pattern of things that you really get a ton out of. And then as you work down the list, things where that SFR number, the stimulus to fatigue ratio, isn't quite as good. So for me, uh, another example would be, I feel like I get a little more out of feet forward Smith machine squats than I do out of leg press. Doesn't mean I don't get anything out of leg press, I just get a little more out of the first one. So, but you can't use the same exercise forever, you have to switch it out, so eventually it gets to the point where you work down your list a little bit. We could even go more nuanced and say like lying hamstring curl as opposed to seated hamstring curl. It's both the same, you're both... Mm -hmm curling with your hamstrings and like at first glance you're like yeah that's the same thing what's the difference like two different people made it like whatever but I think both of us or all three of us maybe prefer one in terms of that stimulus in there but at first glance it looks largely the same so it can be even more nuanced than leg press and uh, feet forward squats or leg press and hack squat whatever it is yeah 
And I think this is important in conversations that we have with our clients um, that because there is variation with movements, um, you know, our goal is to get you to feel that and understand that mind-muscle connection. And so as an example, you know, we work with the good morning a lot and there are multiple variations and, and some of our clients prefer just a barbell good morning. Um, they're able to feel their hamstrings, they get it, they can make that mind-muscle connection from the very first rep. Whereas others, it get they're like, I'm at rep 12 and I still don't feel this. And now that may be a technical thing or it may be that that movement is just not the best for you when trying to create that stimulus or get you to feel that the tension in your hamstrings so we can transition that to another movement maybe that's a split stance good morning um, or maybe that's changing to a hip thrust or um, a glute bridge something that you know then allows you to feel your hamstrings more so it's something that we want you to think about in your training is, is are you getting the most out of this as it relates to the particular muscle group that we're trying to connect to? Yeah, you took the thought from my mind is that's why we're having those conversations and why we're asking clients, where are you feeling this? And oftentimes it's open-ended like that. Like I'm not going to ask somebody oftentimes, are you feeling this in their your quads? Because that's sort of virtue signaling that you should and then they're going to say, yeah, absolutely. And, and they may not be. So when we ask, that's what we're looking for, is there is a particular answer we're looking for. If you don't answer that way, it doesn't necessarily mean you're doing anything wrong. It just may mean that that particular exercise doesn't quite do it for you for any number of reasons. Again, going back to the lying versus seated hamstring curl, it's a great example of like, there's proponents of both. One's not good, one's not bad. It's just what, what works for you. So that's the first issue um, is we want the greatest amount of stimulus and the least amount of fatigue. And where we're going with that is taking stuff to concentric, especially failure is ex it's exponentially more fatiguing. So it is dangerous with certain movements. Taking deadlifts to failure is more dangerous than not. Taking back squat to failure is more dangerous than not. And that's why we don't prescribe that people do it, which we'll get into later. But it is super fatiguing. So the goal is not to come in and absolutely smash yourself to the point where you can't recover in week one or week two of your mesocycle. That is not the intention. The intention is to get a ton of stimulus, but be able to recover in terms of your muscles, like your muscles aren't sore, and in terms of fatigue for your next session where you attack those same muscles again. Um, and so this is, again, where we kind of get into helping people, depending on their background, get out of the mindset of like destroying themselves in a given session is that's not the intention. It's not a tough man contest. It's a progression contest, basically. And so when we take things to failure, we go way overboard with regard to fatigue and it can hamper you going forward. So the just think about this. Think about taking every single one of your sets and every single exercise to fatigue, or I'm sorry, to failure for a whole week. And then we're gonna come back the next week, we're gonna add a set to every one of those exercises and you're gonna do it again. Probably heavier. Yeah, a little bit heavier than last time. If you don't get hurt, which is a big if, uh, you're going to be so brutally fatigued, you won't be able to hit, you won't be able to progress. Like you'll be, you'll be finished because you just can't recover from that. So that's a big thing is we need to have progression over time. The caveat to that is uh, where people are start, they're using reps in reserve and they are not close their failure proximity is not good. So I'm gonna turn it back over to you guys and we could talk a little bit about this because this is more, much more applicable. And I think this is where like the, the bros, the go to failure people uh, are saying like, you know, science-based, scientifically driven training is inherently soft. That's why people don't grow is they're, they basically are babies. They, they aren't willing to get close. And we do see that. So I want you guys to comment on that a little bit. 
Yeah, so as a, a personal example, um, you know, in training right now, I have a specific rep range for movements, and then I'm instructed a particular rep and reserve. Um, and so for that given movement, for the prescribed weight and for the pre- prescribed set, um, I can potentially push further than what the prescribed reps are and still not push it to failure. And so it's important that when you look at like what your coach is prescribing, let's say your top end number is 12, but you want three reps in reserve. If you know that like 15, you could still like keep going, then keep going. Don't just cut it off at that point. It's still a point of like learning what you are capable of doing and it, it takes time for you to understand this concept, but also for your coach to kind of know where you are with a particular movement. Um, and so like as a great example for me with good mornings, like that's a movement that I'm really good at, really good at technically and know at what point um, that technical failure more likely will hit for me. Um, And so I've been able to progress in weight a lot quicker than what my coach thought I would be able to um, because of using my reps in reserve appropriately. Yeah, I think, well, kind of not necessarily related quite to failure in reps in reserve, but off of kind of what you were saying is like, I heard the other day, another coach put it really well that the first like couple months really of us working with a client is us like learning the client because not everyone works the same way in terms of what movements work for them like I what may work for me may not work for you guys even though we're largely the same build and size and we as a coach you have to learn that for each person and that you know what's what their progression looks like, how fast they recover, X, Y, and Z. So that those first few months are all learning that. Um, so I just thought of that as you were kind of talking through, um, like you learning that and your coach learning that. But I think it's something something that we've talked about before is like, why are you, like you, there's, there's low hanging fruit and you're like, you can go to failure all the time, but then you're like, missing all the apples that are you can just reach up and grab and you're going straight to the top of the tree but then like the higher you climb the more risk there is for you to fall and then you then you're not climbing any trees and you're not getting any apples um so it's like why why would you do that when you there's still plenty to be gained from not necessarily going to failure all the time and with that being said, I, as we mentioned before, like you don't necessarily, it doesn't, that doesn't mean go like 10, you could do 10 more on every set. There's also, it's there, you're kind of in that sweet spot of probably like three, four, four shy from failure all the way down to one or at failure at certain specified times in your training for certain specified movements. But why, like why you're not, you don't go to the Apple Orchard and you're like, well, there's about 50 here at arm's length, but these super rickety trees, I'm going to climb up on them and potentially fall on my spouse, hurt both of us, and I didn't even get the apple I wanted. But there were nice ones right there. Yeah, yeah apple, a- apples on the ground versus climbing to the top of the tree is a pretty good analogy, and I think people can understand that. Um, I think what we have to think about is using your reps so using data to help guide this a little bit because the big question is well i don't know what three reps in reserve is and a counter argument to this whole thing is if you don't occasionally take stuff to failure you don't know what it feels like to be close and that's a reasonable argument and we're not necessarily arguing that you should never do that we're going to get into when that does probably make sense but you can use your rep data to gauge if you're doing a good job with reps in reserve or if you at least fail your proximity if no uh, number is given to you by a coach 
So one good way for to figure this out is are your reps through the course of sets in a given work and a given movement, say back squat, are they going up? Does your do your reps look like 8, 10, 11? If that's the case, you weren't anywhere close to failure on the first one and you probably weren't very close on the second one. So you shortchanged yourself. Now, part of that is especially with new movements is sometimes you get more dialed in. Sometimes we see issues with people not warming up enough, so they're able to get more reps in later sets because they rushed their warm-up or didn't warm up properly or didn't warm up at all. So yeah, the first one is garbage because you you didn't do anything to get yourself ready. Um, but broadly, if you're doing this correctly, it should be your first set should probably be where you get the most generally. Uh, you may be able to match that first one in your second one, um, but it sh you're getting close to like moving heaven and earth to do that. And in ladder stats, almost certainly not. Now, this doesn't mean like, okay, so I did 12 on my first one, so I only have to do 10 on my second one. No, 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 no. It means you, you can't get to 12. You're, you're failing technically at eight or nine and you have to stop. And so what you want to think about is basically approaching each set like it's the only one you're going to do. And not look at it like, oh, well, I'm, I'm set. I'm all good. I got a, I got a hard first one, so I'm just going to cruise in the rest of these or, or fool yourself basically into thinking you're working harder than you really are. And I think that's the underlying thing is if we're going to use reps in reserve, you have to be really honest with yourself. Basically, every set, when you re-rack the bar and you're on rest to yourself, was that right? How close was I there? And not basically not bullshitting yourself to think that you're like you're a warrior and you're going harder than you really are and really you're eight reps in reserve and that was nowhere close for you and you're you're kind of just wasting time so it's a, it's a nuanced thing that's why there's so much debate is because these things are can be a little bit difficult to judge especially at first yeah i think the like with all of this being said we're not saying like don't it shouldn't it should be easy or like don't train hard like no one no one that is a proponent of like reps in reserve or rpe or whatever isn't saying like don't train hard like it the inherent nature of all of this is like if you want something to happen it has to you have to like quote unquote f like f make an adaptation so that it has to be like it does have to be hard but it doesn't have to be like we're not saying like oh <laughs> i wouldn't worked out today it, it was nice like it should still be challenging. And that's part, I mean, that also should be part of the reason you do it is like to have to have some sort of challenge presented every day. Yeah, I think that's a good point. It has to be hard. So sometimes we can articulate it as like, basically it has to be awful, which maybe is an overstatement. I think a good takeaway from this is three reps in reserve is where the bar or the movement noticeably slows down. Like you're starting to grind them. That's three. So if you think about where you are in a set like that, where you start to noticeably grind, that's a hard set. So if you can talk to me during your sets, or if you can talk to me right after, you weren't anywhere close. Sorry. Um, maybe if it's like something that's not fatiguing at all, but lateral raises are like not fatiguing. And I'm, if you're focused and dialed in, you're not talking to anybody. You don't even consider it. So that's, I think those are good, two good proxies is the speed of your movement very noticeably slows down and it's getting slower um, and that it's to, you're it's taking everything you have to 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 get another one at that point you're probably at three no i think another good indicator is like how much time you feel you need to like reset in between your reps right so if you're back squatting and like you have to rest for 10 to 15 seconds at the top before you're able to do another one, like you've, you've probably pushed yourself to a point. You, maybe more towards like technical failure, um, but you shouldn't need that much rest in between doing reps in a particular set. Yeah, especially not for hypertrophy training. Right. Powerlifting is a little bit different. But right. Yeah, if you're trying to get 
big sets. Uh, another thing would be how much rest you need. And so again, this is this depends on how fatiguing a particular movement is, right? So back squat and deadlift are much, much, much more systemically fatiguing than curls or lateral raises. So your your rest time might be different. But if you could do another set, like 35 seconds after, if you don't time your rest um, in some way, and you just you just sort of like you could you just like to roll through your workouts quickly, like you're not anywhere close to failure, and you're probably almost certainly shortchanging yourself with regard to effort because the reality is you can't recover that quickly system like you do a hard set of back squats you, the first minute after you're broken like you're wondering why you lift weights like why you just run or something like that because they're very difficult if you could do it and you just you're bebopping around and just having an awesome time like you're not you're you're not where you need to be <laughs> sorry Right, and this is true, again, even if you have, say, three or four reps left in reserve. Yeah. Like, we're, we're not saying that that's, like, one rep in reserve that you're, like, don't talk to me for the next, like, four minutes while I'm dying over here. Like, that should still be the case even at three or four reps in reserve. It is still hard. It is still fatiguing. You are still pushing yourself you're just not letting yourself get to failure. Yeah, I think, uh, so three reps in reserve is like that. And so we can work this down of what two and one looks like. Two is literally with a gun to your head, you could do 14. You miss the 15th one and they shoot you. Okay, so two reps in reserve is you do 12. That's it, like you could not do another one. You, tech, you concentrically fail. That's what that looks like. One rep in reserve is even closer. One rep in reserve is like your hands and legs are shaking. You're sitting on the ground and like, you don't know if you can do another set, period. That's what that looks like. And so again, if we, that's why we're not asking people to do six working sets to failure is because you know the, the injury risk of that and the fatigue risk is super, super high. Yeah. So I think that's the caveat is, for the most part, we're not gonna ask people to go to failure, but you need to be real, real close. Um, and obviously that's as coaches, especially on site, or when we're looking at video analysis of people, where we're helping them judge like, okay, so at this point you hit technical failure, that's where we're gonna stop. Because obviously not, not everything's like back squat. There are certain things where you can cheat movements or do half reps all day long, and you just don't get anything out of it. Um, so obviously that's sometimes where you need a, a kind of a, a, an exterior view to say like, so at this point right here, that's where, you, that's where we're gonna stop because you're just, you're not doing the movement at that point. I think one thing that I knew at least two of us and probably the three of us have with our in-person people is like, if it's like, if you're spotting someone when they're benching to uh, just say like, I'm, you're three three RIR today. Like I'll t I'll tell you when to stop. You just keep going. Like, cause especially for a newer client, like generally I'd say we have a better gauge from watching in terms of the things we just talked about, like bar speed and X, Y, and Z, than the client does. Cause like nine times out of ten, the client is gonna be like, eh, that was enough. Like we don't like. You, very few people turn towards like that sucked i'm gonna do three more um so like just asking your coach if you're an in-person client and maybe if you're even if you're a remote client just saying like hey like what do you think from this video like do you where do you think i was at um and just having us tell you like keep going i'll tell you when to stop yeah and that's not someone's fault that can be a for a variety of factors like number one you're just you're trying to figure out what failure proximity looks like number two we have someone who's new or someone who's actually maybe even just in a new training block. Sometimes your beginning prescriptive weights are either a range or an educated guess. And so if a if coach tells you, unless you're going off of fresh one rep max percentages, if a coach tells you that they just like, they know your weights, like they're lying to you. <laughs> we're, we're using data from previous things and we can go back and look and see what you've done before. And we do that. Um, but we're using data from previous cycles, previous blocks to inform the decision. But sometimes we guess low. 
And so we might give you a rep range, and you're you are at the top of it, and it's still not like super hard for you. And that's where this comes in that we can look and say like, nope, you're still killing these. Keep going. I'm going to spot you. I'm going to tell you when to stop, etc. And that's again with the goal of helping you get the most stimulus out of that set. All right. So when, if ever are we gonna prescribe that someone, or maybe if someone doesn't work with us and they're, they're doing their own programming or something like that, um, would we prescribe taking things to failure and what does that look like? Is it everything, is it some things, et cetera? All things, all the time. <laughs> Get it. Forget everything we've said for the last however, just failure all the time. Be a man, do just, it. Just, just do it. Not only drink the can of bang, but eat it, and then uh, throw some chalk in your eyes and just toss some vibe to the pretty girl next to you and get off. <laughs> That's it. Just remind yourself you're a warrior. Warriors only. And warriors take everything to failure. My thing is like BMOs. Big moves only. If you guys, you know, if you guys want to copy that, don't be afraid. But Everybody just ran to grab a tablet to write that down. <laughs> Alright, so when, uh, if ever, do we ask people to take things to either technical or concentric failure? Uh, well, how do we want to address this and what are we going to specifically just address hypertrophy training because that's kind of where we focused or are we going to address kind of strength training uh i think hypertrophy training just because in strength training the goal is really never to fail right you don't really you're not really taking anything to failure it might be rpe 10 but you still make the lift so i think that's that would be a thing is because it's so fatiguing I'm not sure that you would ever really prescribe someone to take something to failure in appropriate strength training. Okay. Just putting that out there for people. Yeah. So if someone's <laughs> asking you to like consistently take your real heavy 95% back squats to failure, you might want to consider like a different way to get your programming. <laughs> you could only probably even do two. One or two. No, yeah, nobody is gonna do that it's my favorite part <laughs> ryan's like skin is crawling right now as we have this discussion <laughs> yeah. um so i mean it really it depends it depends on the movement it depends on the person um there are certain times that i've asked clients to push things to failure um mainly as a way to kind of get them to understand what that means for them. Um, so again, it, you know, it, it, for certain people, this is new. Like they've never really thought about what, what does it mean to kind of hold back in my training? Um, and, it, but still at the same time, push myself. Um, and so sometimes from an educational standpoint, it's saying like, look, this is, this is it for you. This is your top end weight. This is your last day of this movement. I want you to push it to failure so that then you know and understand then your next training block, you're more educated in knowing when I say, okay, we're going to start at four reps in reserve. You know more what that looks like. I'd say a general rule of thumb in a gen it is a general rule of thumb. Don't like be like, well, I said to do this, so well, <laughs> let's see what happens. Um, like as your mesocycle progresses, so week one to week five or six or seven, if you're an animal, um, you get closer to failure as you go. So reps in reserve goes down. So generally, maybe week one looks like three or four weeks two through four maybe look like three two to two to three and then maybe the last week is one rep shy of failure or some things depending on the movement um kind of pushing that boundary so generally as your mesocycle goes on you inch closer to that failure point so in the same way that as sets and weights go up maybe that reps in reserve starts to go down yeah, and to build on that, so that I think that's a perfect progression um, for hypertrophy training. That probably also translates over into strength-focused training for the most part. Um, so as you progress through a mesocycle, so four to eight weeks of accumulating training, 
your the idea is for you get to get closer and closer and closer progressively to failure. And I'm going to add to that. So you may be listening to this and you might be, say, a client of mine and be like, well, I don't get an RIR prescription. And you're right, you don't. Because again, it's a tool, but it's not the only tool. And sometimes it makes sense for us to focus on other things first. However, I'm bringing you closer to failure uh, each week. And so the way you can do this, and this is another way for people to track at home, again, if they're not having someone doing their programming who thinks in this way, or you're doing group class or something like that, where it's like basically you're on your own, uh, is if you're trying to beat the logbook week over week, last week in bench press, I did 105 pounds and I did in my first set, I did 12 reps. This week, I'm gonna do 110 pounds and I'm gonna to try to still do 12 reps. Even though you got a little fitter and a little stronger in the week gone by, that brings you closer to failure, right? The other way you could look at this is, last week I did 105 pounds and I got 10 reps. This week I'm gonna stay at 105, or I'm yeah, 105 pounds, and I'm gonna to try to do 12 reps. So same weight, more reps. That brings you closer to failure. So if you're having a hard time figuring out RIR, that's okay. J do more, basically. That brings you, you know, it's actually really easy to figure out. You just try to beat last week. And you can only do that for so long before you can't beat last week. You either take a mo movement to technical or concentric failure and you still can't hit your number. That's zero RIR. That's it. I think it goes, hand that works like with progression yeah. like if you're if you're progress if you're following the principle of progressive overload then you're you're still working towards that inherently even if your mindset isn't necessarily like rir you're still like theoretically working towards that point because there's a point like that everyone has their like maximal ability and eventually you're just going to like get there yeah and so and if that if that wasn't the case we would never need a deload and we'd all be able to squat 1,500 pounds and bench press 1,200. But we know that you can't progress linearly over time, so you can use that to bring your RIR down. And so what I do specifically with people is bring them closer and closer to failure through the course of a mesocycle. And then in their peak week or their final week before a deload, uh, that's where we'll start to look at either, say, one rep in reserve for movements that are dangerous to fail, like back squat or deadlift. Um, so you get to, you're getting very close to failure, but you're not taking it to true failure because of safety. Or in movements that you can fail safely, like, say, dumbbell bench press or uh, strict press, strict pull-up, things like that, that are, where the, the risk of failing that is actually quite low. Um, or whether you, when you can have a spotter. So I may ask someone to take all of their bench press sets to failure, knowing that I will be there personally to spot them to ensure that they don't get hurt. Uh, that's where we're going to take things to either technical or concentric failure, knowing that they're very fatiguing, but also knowing that very marginally, it appears you get a little more stimulus out of taking things to failure, particularly absolute failure, um, and that we want to squeeze that out, knowing that we're not super worried about fatigue accumulation because you're going to deload the next week. So your fatigue meter could be at the top by the time you finish a peak week. That is perfectly fine because you're on easy street the next week. So th at that point, fatigue doesn't uh, isn't our primary concern. Whereas in week two of your progression, it's a it's a huge thing because you have to be able to come back and go harder comparatively the next week. Yeah, so at the end of the day, our goal with this conversation, because uh, it is a conversation that we have with all of our clients, uh, is again, to get you to start thinking about your training and being intentional with what you are doing in the gym, right? It's not, well, Ryan prescribed me five sets of back squats for 10, to 12 reps and I just do 10 to 12 reps on each side because that's what it says. It's okay. I know that pushing it to 12 is going to cause me to move incorrectly. 
so I'm at technical failure, or getting to 10 is going to cause me to fail the rep, i.e. not get out of the bottom of a back squat or not able to press the bar over my forehead in the strict press. And noting to us, like, hey, this was, this is, this is it for me. This was two to fail, two to failure. And that's, that's what I have. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's the thing. It's another topic for another day. Um, but avoiding chasing reps. So if people who are doing that and, and, you know, these errors that we're bringing up are oftentimes committed with the best of intentions. Like people are coming in and they're trying hard and they're trying to hit the parameters that we've set out. The, the, the thing is, is you don't want to throw technique and that kind of stuff out the window and stimulus to the target muscle out the window. So you can hit 10 reps because that's what's on the sheet or that's what's on your phone. Um, we want to be intentional. And I think maybe the cool thing about this, because this is, you know, a little bit of a challenge to figure out, is this is part of the fun, at least I think so, of training. Like, it, it's not, yes, we all have outward goals that we want to achieve, right? But a lot of the fun of this is learning things about yourself. Where is your upper limit? What does 3, 2, 1 IRR feel like? in a given movement. Like, what does it feel like? What do you know? Do you know, You know, if I go to a restaurant and I eat X, Y, and Z, uh, and I weigh myself a day or two later, like this is what happens. Like those are really interesting learnings about yourself. And I think that's a huge part of this process as opposed to just coming in and like, quote unquote, getting it in and hoping for some magical result. Like that isn't really how it works. So enjoy the process of learning and dialing in what each of these things feels like to you, including movements that do and don't give you a good stimulus to fatigue ratio. Mic drop. Boom. <laughs> that's that's all, it. That's all she wrote. So think about these things. Naturally, if you're people we work with, feel free to ask us follow-up questions. That's why we're doing it. Uh, even if you're not someone we work with, uh, slide into the old DMs, shoot us an email. Um, we're happy to, to chat about it with you if you'd like. Till then, drink some coffee. Have a nice day. We'll see you next week. I'd say also keep your eyes peeled like a banana for some new apparel. If you guys want to wear something that says aerobic power builder on it or other cool things, uh, keep your eyes out. That's it. If you want to support us but also have everybody else in the world know that you actually think about your training as opposed to doing it like a, like a big dumb animal. We're going to have shirts for that. No, that's actually it. That's it. That's the end of the podcast. <laughs>